Well, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to think with you this morning about our suffering. You know that Jesus, the Bible describes Him, uh, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Bible says no servant is above his master. In fact, Jesus promised that in this world we would have many troubles. God's Word gives us comfort in the midst of those. And God's Word can handle our questions. How do we handle trial and sorrow? And uh, how does God's Word minister to us in the midst of the questions that are immediately raised uh, when we suffer? I want to think about those things with you today as we look at Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse uh, 28. You know that uh, some of God's choicest servants have uh, suffered severe affliction. You may not know this name, but a, a man named Benjamin Morgan Palmer, who was a pastor for nearly 50 years uh, in New Orleans uh, in the 1800s, uh, he, he was a dearly loved man because during plagues, while clergy of all stripes were fleeing the city along with uh, many tens of thousands of people, he stayed and he comforted families, he prayed for the sick, he, he buried the dead, and uh, so he was so well-loved uh, by his pastoral ministry by the people that one of the rabbis even said that he had, he had captured the love of the whole heart of the city. This is a man dearly loved by his people, served God faithfully for many years, and yet himself had suffered severely in his life. If uh, you know anything of his story, he wrote a book called the Broken Home, Lessons on Sorrow, which he, he describes the experience of walking through about 40 years of his life and burying a two-year-old son, burying a father, and then over the span of about 20 years, burying four daughters and then a mother and his wife. He was survived in his family by one of six children only. This is a man who loved God, knew that Christ loved him, who was, who was faithful in his ministry, had been loved by the people, and endured tremendous sorrows of heart. Afflictions and sufferings in this life do not mean that you are not a Christian. In fact, they're one of the evidences that you are a Christian. Look with me at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 as he comforts us. And gives us perspective to help us. This is God's Word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, 
we have heard Your Word read. We ask, O oh God, that You would speak it deep into our hearts. There are many concerns in the body of Christ this day. Things that weigh heavy on us. We pray, O oh God, that You would minister beyond my abilities, minister this Word by Your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and peace to Your people. We pray in Jesus' name. This uh, may not have immediately uh, seemed to you to be a passage about suffering, but if you look, and if you've got a Bible in front of you, and, and scan just in front of that, you'll notice that it's a passage that immediately follows Paul describing the kinds of difficulties that you and I as Christians are bound to face in this world. In fact, if you look at verse 15, he, he says, look, those, those who have the spirit of adoption cry out, Abba, Father, and that's not the picture of the darling school child on the lap of her dad saying, Oh, Daddy, you're so funny. It's, it's the word used of Jesus when He's hanging on the cross, crying out in a loud voice of anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's, it's from deep distress that the children of God cry out. In verse 17, He says, uh, we will suffer with Christ. In verse 23, he says, we groan and long for something future which isn't yet here. We long for a better world. We long to be free from this decay. We will, Paul says, we will suffer affliction and adversity. And it's in that context that he says to you this promise that we know God is working all things together for our good. And so I want you to think with me about this promise, about why God is doing this, what His purpose is, and, and then I want you to think about the questions that come to mind, that, that come to our hearts when we're in the midst of adversity, and how God answers them through this text. In the first place, notice this promise in verse 28. The promise is this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. It is a promise that God is organizing absolutely everything in His universe for the good of His people. It is a promise, Paul says, that we know. We know this. In the, in the midst of all my troubles, he says, but, but I know, I'm confident of this thing. There are many things that we don't know. There are many things in life that you don't know. Paul had just said in verses 26 and 27, you know, in the midst of suffering, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. I'm at a loss to even open my mouth and utter words to my Father in Heaven because this, this thing is too deep for words. And he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us. I don't know how to pray. But, but this I do know, Paul says. He expects that Christians will know this. And we've got to remind ourselves of this and drink this in and let it, let it sit in our hearts in the midst of trial. And what is it we know? We know this, Paul says. Look, we know that our Father is on His throne and He is governing the universe and He has purposes in my life through my troubles. He's organizing everything for my good. Do you know these things. Paul says you should. You need to know this. 
It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is good, as though all things are in themselves good things. Paul's not saying, look, there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as hurt and pain. Things happen to us that are beyond our control. There are things that have happened to you that, that were beyond your ability to stop, and they are painful things. There are other things, other sorrows of heart, that you've brought upon yourself. Paul is not saying, you just need to, you just need to look back on all those things and say, you know, it's all good. All those things were fine. They, they, weren't, they weren't really bad things. No, 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 no. Paul says, Paul says, it's not that all things are good. It is that God uses all things for your good. This is the promise to every believer. It's, it's the promise that, that Joseph embraced. You know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You remember that he was one among many brothers, and his brothers began to hate him, to despise him, that they plotted his death, and then he was spared at the last moment, but then they sold him into slavery just to get rid of him because they were so against him. So Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt and in a household where he is then falsely accused of a horrible crime. And then he's unjustly imprisoned over that false accusation. And he spends decades in prison. And there he's befriended and then betrayed after given the hope that he's going to be able to get out. This is a man who knew suffering, but at the end of his life, God had raised him up redeemed him, lifted him high, and placed him over authority in all of Egypt. And God used him to, in, in the midst of a, a coming famine, to gather uh, the produce, to gather the grain, to, to uh, protect the nation of Egypt uh, for the famine that was to come. And, lo and behold, his brothers show up from Israel. They come down looking for food because they're in the midst of famine too. They don't recognize him, but they have to appeal to him for help. And you would think Joseph would be saying, <laughs> now is my opportunity. These brothers despised me. My family hated me. And I will take my revenge. And, and at one point his brothers realize that this is their brother Joseph. And they're absolutely afraid. And Joseph says to them this, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. For the saving of many lives. But there are two intentions in the things of this world. There's the intention of the heart of man. The Bible says is only evil all the time. We make our own messes. We taste some of the mess that others make. But there is an intention of God through those things to do good, ultimate good, for His own people. I was at a rehearsal dinner Friday night for a couple in our ministry that got married. It's fun to be part of a family in that setting. And the, uh, the friends and family who had gathered had, had an opportunity to say some kind words, some embarrassing moments, some humorous stories about the, the couple, to send them on their way with uh, some positive things. And then 
the very end, the, the groom got up to thank friends, uh, to single out individuals and families, and, and he, he walked his way through siblings and then his mom, and then he got to his dad, and this was his final word. He was going to say a few things to dad, and, and one of the things that he said to his dad was this, Dad, you know, I, I've had a lot of questions in my life, and I've come to you for answers to those questions. And it's absolutely frustrating because every time I've done that, you've like read five books on the subject. You've taught three Sunday schools on the subject. Uh, You seem to know everything there is about this thing. You've got all the resources and references, and, and you're always right. You've always been right. And that has been the most frustrating thing for me and the most comforting. Frustrating because you're always right and I'm not comforting because I know I can be confident in you. Well, this is what a Christian has in his Father. Not just that he knows all things, but that he's sovereignly governing and managing all things. And and it's frustrating. It's not how we would design it for ourselves. But it's a comforting truth that we're in the hand of a Father and all the hairs of our head are numbered and not one of them falls to the ground, but by His will. You've got to let that sink in. Now, why is He governing all these things? Even the evil things for His people. What are His purposes and and, and who is this for? You'll you'll notice uh, as Paul describes it, that this is a this is a this is a particular promise to a particular group of people. He says, "We know." And who is the we? It is those he says who love God and who are called according to His purpose. This is not Paul is not saying. Look, this is the um, this is the pattern of the universe. People endure struggles and they get better because of it. This is not. The Friday night coach rallying the troops and saying, you know, it's kind of a universal law of life that, you know, no pain, no gain. So so we're going to fight and we're going to suffer, but at the end it will be glory. This is not, this is, this is a particular promise to a particular group of people he describes in two directions. On the one hand, they love God, and on the other hand, they've been called by God according to his purpose. That's how he describes them. And what does He promise them? What is it God is doing with them? Notice that God has in mind your Christ-likeness and Jesus' glory. That's the good that God is working to make you, as He says in verse 29, that you might be conformed to the image of His Son that his son might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, let's take that first one. God's good for you is not the good that you might choose for yourself. You know, last month visiting family, I, I, every weekend we grew up skiing out on the lake at the cottage, and, and every year I go back to visit parents and I get out on that boat around sunset and the wind is coming and the, and, the, and the lake is smooth and there's a fire ready for me uh, on the hill above the lake and we're going to roast marshmallows and I relive my childhood and it is, it is heaven on earth. 
It was so good. I love that. I want every day to be like that. That's what I think is good for me. You've got things like that you think are good for you. I think it would be good for me to drop 50 pounds tomorrow without working at it, right? I think it would be good for me if my mom was cured of Alzheimer's. If sibling marriages were put back together tomorrow. I think these things would be good. I think it would be good if when I get home, my wife and children have the house clean, tidy, there's no noise, there's no argument, there's no sibling rivalry, so that I don't have to parent my children, which is really one of my deepest goals, which is not God's goal for me. But So you, you understand that. You know, whatever is comfortable and easy and good is what I think should be what is good for me. And God says, no, 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 I want you to make, I want, I want to make you like Jesus. He's going to prune me. He's going to change me. And that does not feel good. But, 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 but what's more, and maybe that's not enough for you, because there are times in the midst of those difficulties that all I can do is look at me. And then I get frustrated with me in the way that I'm dealing with my problem. And the last thing I want to do is think, okay, well, it's all about me. God's making me like my Savior. Well, there is something beyond you going on here. His goal is to make you like Jesus. That Jesus Himself would be put on display as the elder brother of a large family of men and women and boys and girls who are like Him, that that Jesus Himself would be seen on display as the great among a whole family that God has made great in glory. And, And if it's not enough for you to say, I know that God is doing something with me, you remember that God is doing something, has done something with Jesus, and is doing something for the honor of His Son. But there are certainly lots of questions that come into my mind when I have trouble, and yours too. And God wants to build your confidence, your sense of assurance that He's for you, as the text says in verse 31. That He's for me and not against me. He wants to comfort you. He wants to give you perspective on these trials. And, and, and these things answer some of the questions that come to mind. And so that's where I, I want to end here, uh, not momentarily, but I want to end here on this, on this thought. What are, what are these words Paul's using here? You, you recognize some of them as sort of the, um, the controversial words, the words we use in argument about theological disputes, the words that everybody wants to employ to say, no, no, I'm right, no, you're wrong, you know. That's not Paul's use of these words here. Paul's not debating theological points. He's giving you practical help to bolster your confidence that God is for you and not against you, dear believer, in the midst of your sorrows. That He's working not against you, but He's working for you. And so, what are the, what are the questions that come to mind and how, how do these words answer those? Well, one of the very natural questions is, doesn't this trouble prove that he doesn't love me? That I'm not really the object of his love? Or, 
maybe, you know, I love him more than he loves me. Because I do love Jesus, but where's the love in this situation? Or, I don't love him enough. That's why this is happening to me. If I had more love, this circumstance wouldn't be true. All these things come to mind in the midst of our trials. Now, Now look what Paul says. In verse 29, he says, for those whom, he's just said, the promise that God is working all things for your good. For, because, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He he foreknew His people. You know what that means. It means that He set His love on you before the foundation of the world. That He bent His heart to you. Set His affections on you. Knew you. In the Bible's sense of that term, where Adam knew Eve in marital intimacy, where God said to His Old Testament people, you, in Amos chapter 3, you, only among all the nations of the earth, have I known. Right? God's not professing ignorance of all the nations of the earth, but He's saying... But you, I've known, I've I've set my saving affection and love upon you and drawn you into a relationship with me. That's what he's describing here. And so how does this answer my need? Well, it says, look, he loved me before this happened. He will love me through this happened. He loved me before I loved him. It is not the lack of my love for him that has caused this thing to happen. And it is not proof that he does not love me. He foreloved me. But the second question you know, that comes to mind is, and, and maybe, maybe more so when you are the cause of, of the difficulty that you're experiencing, when you yourself have created the mess, the pit either by what you did or even just by the way that you have handled a mess that came your way. And and you are tempted to think, I have so deeply messed things up. I I have so ruined, by by the way I have responded, I have so ruined the Christian life, the, the life that I was called to live, that it is unrepairable. There is nothing God can do for me. And, and, Paul says to you, God foreloved you and He predestined you. He has determined for the believer the outcome ahead of time. And you cannot thwart His purposes for you who are in Christ. God is determined to make you like Jesus. God is determined to have a family of people made like Jesus. And Jesus is not ashamed, the Bible says, to be called your elder brother. Though you may have given him every reason, humanly speaking, to bring him shame. He's not ashamed to own you. God has planned for you. Glory with Christ. 
and, and you can't thwart His purpose for you. And the third question is this. Well, this thing, the, the weight of this thing it has been too much for me to bear. And I am genuinely concerned that I am going to lose my faith. I can't stand this thing any longer. I'm, I'm about ready to turn and walk away. And, 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 and you who are genuinely in Christ are troubled by that thought. You're being troubled by that thought is one of the things that, that keeps sort of that, that going, that, that, that nugget of faith, that seed of faith, the Holy Spirit in you will not let you go ultimately. But, but, but Paul says this, look, those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. You came into the faith, he says, not at its beginning by an act of your own faith, but prior to that, God called you into the faith and you responded in faith to Christ. And this call was effective for you. It really brought you home to Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't as when, when my kids and I had a dog named Daisy who we didn't realize, but she was a, when well, we knew she was a beagle, but just hadn't really kind of thought about, you know, that beagles like to roam and sniff and run and to explore. And, you know, with a lot of kids in the house, the front door was always open and Daisy was always out and she wasn't real interested in coming home. And we would yell and scream, Daisy, you know. Well, I do that with my kids too. I guess it's the same principle, but they don't always respond. They don't really come when they've been called. Well, there is that kind of call. The, the invitation to come to Jesus goes out. People don't come. But there is a call that's effective. An invitation that draws you home to Christ. And, and what Paul is comforting with you is this, that, that though you might say, you know, this promise can't be true for me because my faith is weak and weakening. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. He called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And He who called you, He who initiated that, will keep you. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He also justified. This is the fourth thing. One common experience in the midst of trouble is for us to say, I am just getting what I deserve. And God is punishing me for the evil that I myself have done. My heart leaps to, what have I done to cause this thing? And, and, and God's against me now. He's not for me. But Paul here says, no, 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 no. You have been justified. And to be justified means that God has pardoned you and has accepted you once and for all. I am assured in the Gospel that I am no longer the object of God's just wrath. That Jesus became the object of God's just wrath on my behalf. That I am not being in this life punished for my iniquity, that my Savior was punished for my iniquity on the cross. This is what it means. You, you may say, well, you know, I, I got that. 
you might be right. And early in the start of my Christian life, when things were easy, uh, Christianity seemed, you know, sort of careless and, and free. And, and I had this load of, of, of a burden of sin taken off my back and everything was good. And I just knew in my, my experience and the depth of my heart that I was, I was released from my sin. But you have discovered over time that that feeling has floated away. And over time, you have discovered that you are not the stellar Christian that you thought you were that first week of life in Christ. Old habits have died hard. The fruit of the Spirit has not seemed to be borne out in you the way that you imagine it ought to be. And now there's trouble and you can't help wondering, has God changed His view of me and now He's against me when He used to be for me? And Paul says, you need to understand justification. If, if the Father has punished His Son for your sin, then He is not such an unjust judge that He would also punish you for your sin. God is not going to punish two people for the same sins. If Christ has already borne it, then you are free. Don't misread His intention for you in the midst of your affliction. He is not taking it out on you. As a father, He disciplines those He loves. As a father, He's determined to make you like Jesus. But that's a far different thing than saying he's, His goal is to crush you. Now, the last thing is this. And the question might be this. This thing looks like it's going to last the rest of my life. This is a trouble that I am promised no relief from until the day I die. And is it worth it? And if this is all there is, I don't really want Christianity. And Paul says to you, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that means that God has determined to raise you up from a grave, to give you a new body full of life and vigor and health, reunited with a soul that no longer feels the effects of sin, and to live with Him forever, with Christ face to face, at home in heaven, with all God's people. Jesus has been raised from the dead. and You will be raised from the dead too with Him. And Paul says, this is certain. This is so certain that I can say to you that you have been glorified, even though you're sitting right here and it's clear to all of us that you have not yet been glorified. But it is so certain. It's a Greek grammatical way of saying, Paul saying, this is so absolutely certain, and though it's yet future, I can speak of it as having already been done. You fear that the afflictions of this life will be too great for you and you will be overcome and you will fall away and you don't want this affliction. You want it to end. And Jesus says to you, I have better things in store. That I who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus and I will raise you up. Friends, this is, this is the promise that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the place 
where we gain hope in our afflictions. And this is the promise that there is glory beyond our afflictions. And this is where we need to build before afflictions come so that we're ready when they do.